Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. If you have your Bibles, we are going to be in Romans chapter 9. We're jumping back into the book of Romans. We've taken a break from the book of Romans. If you will remember, we started back in August of 2022, and we moved through eight, the first eight chapters of Romans before we came to the Christmas season, and we took a break for uh, the Christmas season, not that we took a break from meeting together, but we began a Christmas series. Then for January, we've had a teaching series as we're getting started, as we're moving forward. If I had to summarize the January series, it's this. We need to abide in Christ, don't we? If we're going to be disciples who make, grow, and unleash gospel-centered disciples of Christ. So this morning, we're going to be in chapter 9. So if you'll please stand with me in honor of God's word. And I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 5, and then I'm just going to jump over to chapter 10, the first verse in chapter 10, and read that, and then we will move forward. Romans chapter 9, verse 1. The Apostle Paul says, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. You know, when a pastor says, I'm not lying, That's kind of ironic, isn't it? I've been lying up to this point. All right, so let's... I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. And here's what I'm not lying about. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh, Verse 4 says, they are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. And let's jump down to verse, uh, chapter 10, verse 1, because Paul's heart has continued, his thought has continued here. He says, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. Let's pray. Father, there is no one like you. As we just sang several times, there is no one that is like you. There there is no one who loves like you. There is no one who cares like you do. And we ask that this morning, that you would make us, through Jesus, more like you, that you would transform us to be more like Jesus, that you would give us hearts that have a burden to make you known. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I want to begin with this uh, message this morning and to say up front that today's message is kind of like a two-part message on chapter 9, as we're going to hopefully see next week, if it doesn't snow again, next week, if we're able to gather together, um, we're going to see that chapter 9 is, and I'm going to say, unfortunately, it is one of those difficult passages in the Bible that has literally divided 
churches and true believers from one another. I I say that from sorrow. Uh, I don't think it has to be that way. But next week, if you want to see what divides churches come to to Reach Life Church, we're going to get into that. It's a chapter that deals with election. It's a chapter that deals with God's sovereignty and and man's free will. That's something that that people um, have battled over over the centuries. And I want to tell you, the more I study it, I've come to realize I, there's a lot of things that Paul writes that are hard to understand. Chapter 9 might be the number one chapter in the Bible. And you know, when Paul was writing his letter uh, to the church in Rome, the church was primarily filled with Gentile people. Now, there were just a few Jews. And so next week, we're going to look at a question where Paul asks, actually in verse 6, he says, has God's word failed? Because the Jews were the chosen, God's chosen people, but few of them believe in Jesus. And he's going to say, why are there so few that have been saved? So this, we're going to get into that next week, Lord willing. But this morning, I want to prime our hearts. I, I, I want our minds to be set right before we get there. Because the thing I want to look at this morning is I want to look at God's heart for the lost. I want to look at what is God's heart towards the lost, towards all of humanity, because that is, that is something that can divide and bring uncertainty in chapter 9. So I want to start there uh, with what is God's heart for the lost. And as we do this, um, as, we've been, as I've been studying this passage, um, this, this passage, the first few verses has really challenged me as I've been preparing for today's message. And it's raised a question in my heart and my mind, and I want to ask it to you. And that is, do you care about those who Jesus identifies as the lost? Do you care about them? Now, you, you may not like that word lost that, I just, that I'm using. I know that there's some words we're just not supposed to use. But the reason I'm going to use it is because Jesus uses it. In Luke 15, he talks about a lost coin, lost sheep. He talks about lost sons. And so we're going to use a word that Jesus uses. And when you examine your life, let me ask you this. When you examine your life, when you look at how you spend your time, what you think about, what you daydream about, what you love, when you think about how you spend your resources, how you spend your energy, what you talk about, does your life reveal that you have a desire to see people come to know Jesus? This is one of those messages where we're going to examine our own hearts, not not the person next to you, but our own hearts. This passage has been causing me to examine my heart this week. And a question that I've had to ask myself, and I'm going to ask you this, when was the last time that you shared the gospel with somebody? And I'm not, I'm not talking about on a social media post, you know, or sharing a verse, which I'm not against that. I do that. But I, I'm, not, I'm talking about where you have come to somebody and you're seeking to persuade them to put their trust in Jesus because, and here's the reason you're doing it, because you love them and you want them to see, to come to know Jesus. It's not because you're looking for numbers, stats. So that you can tell somebody, get somebody off your back. Yeah, I've told somebody about Jesus, but that your heart's burdened 
for someone. When was the last time that happened, has happened in your life? And I'm not counting myself, I'm not counting me as every Sunday I get up here and preach the gospel. That doesn't count for me either, okay? Even though I preach it every single week. The question I'm asking is how much do we desire to see people come to personally know Jesus? How much are we being a part of God's process in that? And as we just read, the Apostle Paul definitely had a heart for the lost, didn't he? He had a heart to see people come to Jesus like nothing that I have ever seen in my lifetime. Because you know what he basically says? He says, you know what? I know you're not going to believe this. That's how he starts off chapter uh, 9, verse 1. He goes, I know you're not going to believe this, but Jesus and the Holy Spirit are my witness to what I'm about to say, okay? I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart for my Jewish brothers and sisters. He says, I love them so much. Man, I love them so much that if I could trade places with them, if I could somehow give my ticket to heaven and exchange it for their ticket to hell, I would go to hell for them. That is amazing, isn't it? I mean, honestly, is there any, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but can you say that? I've not met anyone that can truly say that, um, that can honestly say that. And it's not that I don't care about the lost. It's just that I don't care like that. And so Paul is correct when he says, it's going to be difficult for you to believe what I'm about to say. Paul's great sorrow and unceasing anguish, you know, you know why it's hard to believe? It's because his anguish was for the Jewish nation who as a whole hated him. They hated him so much that they wanted him dead. All throughout the book of Acts, we read how the Jewish nation was trying to kill him, stone him to death, beat him. They were trying to get the Roman government to execute him. And yet, Paul, knowing this, claims that he would be willing to die for them if they would, could come to, to know Jesus. You know, what would you die for? That's the question I've been asking myself this week. What would you die for? Now, moms, we know who you would die for, don't we? Uh, a few weeks ago in Missional Community, we were kind of asking this question, and uh, it came up, who would you die for? And dads, if you and your child are drowning, hope God forbid, but if you are, Make sure you're right with the Lord if, they can, if the mom can only save one. Make sure you're right with the Lord because you ain't getting saved. And that was a unanimous vote in the room. They're going to save their kids, which they should, all right? But what would you, who would you die for? Paul has already said in, in chapter 5, verse 7, he said uh, back, when, back uh, last year when we were looking at chapter 5, he said, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. You get what he's saying? He's like, you're not going to die for someone that's good. You might die for someone that's perfect. Uh, we die for people. People lay their lives down, go to war, protect their country, because we die for that which we believe is worthy. We, we die for what, who, we, who, who we love and those who love us. 
That, that's who we typically die for. But Paul is saying that he would die for his enemies. And so this morning, I've got three questions I want to try to answer as we're moving through this passage. And number one, uh, if, you're, if you've got a weekly on the back, there's a, uh, you can take notes here. You can fill in the blanks. And I've already given the three questions on there. Number one is, why was Paul hated? I want to look at why did the Jews hate him? Number two, why did Paul love those who hated him? And then three, which is kind of an application question, is, is it possible for us to love like Paul? Or, Paul, or was Paul just a super Christian? Can we grow to love like Paul did? So let's begin with the first question, which is, why was Paul hated? And the answer is pretty simple. It's because he loved Jesus and couldn't keep his mouth shut. If you'll remember in chapter 1, Paul begins his letter of, to the Romans by saying, you know what, I am so eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. He says, I'm eager to preach the gospel. Verse 15, uh, 16, he says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone believes. I believe that the gospel is the only message, if it's preached rightly and believed and received, it, it has power to save and to transform lives. But the question I ask about that, that, that verse there is, why would anyone be ashamed of good news? That's what gospel means, right? The good news. Why would anyone ever be ashamed to give good news? Imagine this morning that I said to everybody in here, if you're in debt, credit card debt, student loans, a car payment, your mortgage, I'm going to pay off your debt this morning. Just by a raise of hands, how many of that would be good news to you? Wow, okay. That would be great news to me, unless I'm debt-free. But you'd have to admit that you're in debt. You'd have to admit you're in debt in order to receive what I was going to give you. Or what if I said, you know, I've got a cure for your chronic ailment. There's many people in our church that are, that are suffering from chronic ailments. What if I said, I've got that cure? Or listen, I said, I'm going to roll back the clock on your life 25 years or so, and you're going to be how you were when you were 25. Now, some of you wouldn't exist anymore if I rolled it back 25 years. But those of us who are in our 40s and 50s and up, man, is that good news? Amen, yes. You're like, well, do I want to keep living in this world? Yeah, so, but that would be good news, wouldn't it? But you'd have to admit, you'd have to realize that your body is broken and breaking down in order to see that as good news, wouldn't you? And, and the point I'm getting at, I think, is obvious, that in order for news to be really good, you have to realize the condition that you're in, currently in, is undesirable. It has to be something that you wish would change, and, that's, uh, and that there's a better option that's available to you. And so Paul, knowing this, in the book of Romans, he spends from chapter 1, the next three chapters, he begins diagnosing our current spiritual condition. And it's not easy to hear, is it? Initially, it's not. He says, basically, our hearts are infected with sin. And because our hearts are sinful, we've rebelled against God willingly. We've closed our eyes. We've become idolaters. 
We've chosen the creation over the creator. And because of this, he says, we all deserve God's wrath. And then he says, and your good works can't save you. Doesn't matter how good you are, you cannot pay for your sins through your good works. And you know what? That's offensive to us, isn't it? That is offensive for someone to say, you know what? You're just not good enough. That's offensive to us, but it was especially offensive to the Jew because they prided themselves in the law of Moses. They thought, we're keeping it. We are right with God. And Paul's like, no, you're not. You're not. And this is and was offensive, isn't it? The gospel is offensive at first. And Paul was hated because he loved and shared Jesus. He was hated because he loved Jesus and he shared him, who is offensive at first, and he is hated by this world. Now, I know when I say something like, this world hates Jesus, I've never met someone that says, I hate Jesus. As a matter of fact, people that I've talked to would say, I don't hate Jesus. I actually have a high respect for Jesus. I just don't like his disciples, his hypocritical disciples. And sometimes they're right in in their reason for not liking us. Sometimes they're not, though. And there is a Jesus that, you know, I would agree with with this world, that there is a Jesus that this world does tolerate. It's It's the Christmas Jesus, the baby, the cute, cuddly Jesus that's in a manger. It's the Jesus who walks on water. It's the Jesus who heals diseases. He takes care of the poor. He feeds the hungry. It's the Jesus that says, don't judge even though that verse is taken out of context. It's the Jesus who teaches us to love one another. The world tolerates that Jesus. But, but there's a Jesus that this world hates. And it's the Jesus that when you present that Jesus in love deals with sin, that there is a Jesus who, who wants to have a say in how we live our lives, when we share the cross of Jesus, when we say that, you know, this, this cross is a reminder, seeing Jesus hanging there, beaten, bleeding to death, that is a reminder of what, not what he deserved, because he lived perfectly, but it's, it's what we deserve. When you start teaching that, when you teach that he died in our place, because we deserve the wrath of God, and that he rose again as Lord of all. That's when you begin to feel the tension, isn't it? That's the Jesus that I'm talking about, that the world does not accept, that the world hates, which is is not a surprise. It shouldn't be a surprise to us because Jesus says in John 7, verse 7, he says, the world hates me. Why? Because I testify about it, that its works are evil. And then in John 15, verses 18, verse 18, he says, if the world hates you, he's talking to his apostles, his disciples. He's talking to us. He says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world would love, its, love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. 
Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also, also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. And look at this. They hated me without a cause. They hated me because I told them the truth about their condition. And there's right ways and wrong ways to share truth in there. And in, in John chapter 3, Jesus says that man, humanity, loves darkness more than light. And we need to remember, church, we need to remember that people often don't realize they're lost. Most of the time, people don't realize they're lost and don't like being told they're lost. Gentlemen, see, the women are laughing right now. I haven't even gotten to what I'm about to say. The guy was like, what, what are you talking about? Before GPS, and even after GPS, for that matter, you're driving in the, <laughs> you're driving in the car, right, with your spouse, or your girlfriend, who you're driving, and you're lost. You don't know where you're at, but you don't know you're lost because you're inside of you. You've got the, you say you've got this internal, you know, honing system, and you know where you're at. You're just exploring, but you're lost. You don't know it, and then what happens? The worst thing happens. In love, they say, "Honey." We're lost. We don't like to hear that, do we? Then they go one step further. Why don't you stop and ask for direct? See, all the men are like shaking like this right now. Why don't you stop and ask for directions? We don't like that, do we? And what do we say? We don't need to stop. I know where we're at. I come home all the time. I figure this out eventually, right? And I never stop and ask for directions. See, we don't like to be told we're lost. And Jesus says, but you are. But you are lost. He says, everyone born is headed for destruction. Then he says, and you can't save yourself. You can't figure it out. You can't find your way home by yourself. And then he says, and this is the thing that this world just cannot stand. He says, I am the only way to bring you home so that you won't be lost. And that is what Paul was hated for. 
He was a servant of Jesus who faithfully shared an, an offensively true gospel out of love, out of concern. He told them the truth in love. That's why they hated him. Number two, though, why did Paul love them? Why did Paul love those who hated him? I think there's probably more than one reason, but I'm going to give three reasons, I think. Number one, it's because he had been deeply loved by Jesus. He had been deeply loved by Jesus. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. He says, for the love of Christ controls us. For the love of Christ has, controls us. Has anything ever controlled you before? Has anger, fear, depression, anxiety, lust, it's controlled you, it's consumed you. That's what, that's, that's what Paul's saying here. The love of Christ consumes me. It controls me. Because, and here's why, we have concluded this. We've come to this conclusion, that one, that is Jesus, died for all. Therefore, all have died. Verse 15, and he, Jesus, died for all. And here's why Jesus died for all, that those who live, in other words, those who have put their faith in Jesus, those who believe in him, might no longer live for themselves, but for him who, their sake, died and was raised. There's the entire gospel right there, isn't it? That's our motivation, isn't it? Why? To die to ourselves to live for Christ. There's a, there's a teaching that's going out all throughout the church, this world, the, the, world, the, the church. It's in, um, coming into the church, and I heard it a week or so ago, and it said this, putting yourself first isn't selfish. It's self-full. Putting yourself first isn't selfish. It's self-full. That isn't in the Scriptures. Now, if you're saying you need to make sure you're walking with the Lord and being filled by him before you try to serve others, yes, totally. But there's this, this, this belief that, you know, when things get hard, just pull away and it ain't worth it. That's not what Paul said. People are hating him. People are wanting him dead. He's saying that the gospel actually gives me power to love my enemies. Paul was controlled. He was captured. He was seized by the love of Jesus but you know what? Here's good news for us. At one time, that wasn't true of the Apostle Paul. At one time, he was a Jesus hater. He rejected that Jesus is the Messiah. He rejected Jesus' love for him that is expressed through his death. He did not believe that Jesus rose from the dead. He was controlled by this hate. He was controlled by self-righteousness. He was controlled by anger. And he expressed his rage by persecuting the church of Jesus Christ. He, it says uh, that he would arrest people. He would put them to death. Anyone who loved Jesus, he couldn't stand it until one day Jesus appeared to him and literally knocked him off of his high horse onto the ground. And Paul had an encounter with the resurrected Jesus. 
his eyes were opened. And I pray that that our eyes would be opened this morning. He saw Jesus for who he is. He believed, he was baptized, and God took the self-proclaimed chief of sinners. Paul called himself the chief of sinners. He took him and gave him a new heart. He had mercy on him, and he began transforming him from the inside out. Christ's love conquered him to the degree that he was empowered to love his enemies, to love those who hated him. And that, you know, church, if we're going to love our enemies, we first must remember how much we have been loved. And I don't think it's any secret that Christianity, Jesus, the true gospel are not being tolerated at all anymore in this world. I don't say that to, to cause us to fear. I, call, I say that, let us know Christ's love for us. That is our only hope of being able to be effective disciple makers and to love our enemies, is to know how much we've been loved by him. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. Let me back up a little bit here. (laughs) Paul loved because he was deeply loved by Jesus. Secondly, he loved because he cared about their eternity. 2 Corinthians 5.10 verse 11 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Paul knew that we must all stand before the Lord and give an account so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. There is a day that, whether we believe it or not, we're going to stand before the Lord and give an account. And then Paul says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Paul's like, I want everyone to be able to stand before the Lord unashamed, and it be a joyful time, knowing that, It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God with your sin not being forgiven and taken care of. And so Paul says, we seek to persuade people because of that. That's the second reason that Paul loved those who hated him. And the third reason that Paul loved those who hated him is because Jesus was alive in him. Jesus was alive in him. Let's not miss that. We cannot miss this. This is something that that we're going to come back to next week. But I, I, I don't want us to miss this one point right here because it's going to be important for the rest of chapter 9. Paul loved those who hated him because through the indwelling Holy Spirit, Jesus was alive in Paul. Galatians, now, Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer, what? I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Do you see the gospel again presented here? Every time we talk about serving the Lord, the gospel is is right there. 
Paul loves because he was loved, and Christ is at work inside of him, alive in him. Again, in 2 Corinthians 5, 19, the Apostle Paul says, God was in Christ, when Jesus was walking on the earth, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us, and entrusting to us, listen church, he's entrusted to us the message of reconciliation, which is, what's that called? The gospel, thank you. Therefore, we are, this is Pastor Terry's favorite verse in the entire Bible, we are ambassadors for Christ. Look at this, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, and here comes the gospel again, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now it's a mystery, isn't it? Is it Christ alive in us doing these things, or is it us doing these things? Yes. Yes. It's both. Um, it's like a healthy marriage where, where, where you're united together. And in our situation, we are no longer calling the shots, but we agree with them. We agree with the shots being called by our Savior. Through the Holy Spirit, Christ, he lives in us and, and he directs us and he controls us. If we are yielded and willing believers, that's so important to hear because you can be an unwilling believer, but he works through the yielded and willing believer and he, he's never going to force us against our will to do this. He wants us to be controlled by his love not our fear of punishment. We always want to motivate each other, not by guilt. Why? By love, why? Because that's how Christ motivates us. That's the kind of change that lasts, that causes us to grow and to flourish. Why did Paul care so deeply? It's because he was filled with Jesus. And Jesus has a heart for the lost. Jesus has a heart for the, this world that we live in. And he is seeking for them. And he wants to seek for them through us. And guess what he does when we, when, when we find them, when they're found? He rejoices. Paul's heart was overflowing. It was, it, he had great sorrow. He had unceasing anguish. Why? Because Jesus' heart 
was alive in him. We need to, I keep saying this, but we need to see this this week because when we get into chapter 9, we're coming back to this. Jesus wants all to be saved. Jesus desires that all would come to repentance. And Paul had this anguish in him. And he was willing to die for them. But unlike Paul, who wished that he could be accursed for the sake of his brothers, he wished he could. Jesus was, wasn't he? That's Jesus' desire at work in Paul to lay down his life. And Jesus was despised and forsaken of men, as Isaiah 53, verse 3 says. He was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief, and like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. Still, verse 5 of, of, of Isaiah 53 says, but he was pierced through for our, our transgressions. Jesus was crushed for our iniquities. Jesus loved his enemies when he was hated by them. The love that Paul is displaying is the love of Christ at work within him. And with that said, you know, I've kind of already answered the third question that we're going to get to this morning. And that is, is it possible for us to love like Paul? I, th- I hope that clearly the answer is yes. If Christ's love for us is fresh, I'm talking about the love that he has for you, is fresh. Uh, if we remember what we deserve, if, if you can remember where you were before Christ and what it was, the joy you had when you came to Christ, and if we will grow in yielding ourselves to the indwelling Holy Spirit, then we will grow in our love for the lost. Paul didn't get saved and all of a sudden he stood up and goes, man, I, would, I wish I could go to hell for my brothers. He grew in his love for Christ and his brothers and his enemies. And this, more, uh, this week I've been talking to people. I talked to our staff this week and, and other members of the church. And I, and I said, what are, what are some reasons that keep you from caring about the lost or sharing your faith with the lost? What are some of the excuses or, or reason, reasons? What are the things that cause you to be sluggish? And there were several reasons that were given to me, some of them that I gave. Um, some of us believe that God is going to save whoever he's going to save, regardless of what we do. Some of us are afraid of the cost of sharing Jesus, the fear of, of man being ashamed, the cost that it could cost us relationships, it could cost us a job, it could cost us worldly possessions. Some of us believe that this world it's gotten so bad, it's, it's just gone way too far. We just need to kind of like close the door, stay in our prayer closets until Jesus comes back. Uh, we think we know better. We think that, you know, this gospel won't work anymore in this culture. Even though I got saved, it, it's not going to work for, you know, those really, really, really bad people. We don't think that the gospel's really the power to bring people into salvation. We think if I share this, they're not going to receive it. Somebody told me that they didn't want to 
come across as trying to manipulate people. I don't want them to think that they're a project or a number, and I get that. That's good. But that shouldn't keep us from repenting of our hearts and caring for that person. I don't think sometimes we really think that people will go to hell if they don't accept Christ. Sometimes it's a desire for other things, isn't it? We get caught up in other things, pursuits. Jesus talks about it in Mark 4, about the four soils, and one of them is that the, the, the cares of this world rise up and they choke the word of God. It deadens our hearts. We turn to different types of idols. I realize in my own life, if I'm really honest, like I said before, I, it's not that I don't care at all, but I don't care enough. I don't care enough. And I'm asking God, I've been asking God to break my heart in this area. And so I just want to close by asking you the questions, um, do you have a heart for the lost? When was the last time you shared the gospel with somebody? Are you a yielded vessel? Are you an ambassador for Christ through whom God is, a, is able to make his appeal to the world to be reconciled to him? I guess the question I'm asking, is God still saving today? Do you think that God is still saving people today? Do you think that God is still saving people in Asheville? Do you think that God wants to save people in Reach Life Church, through Reach Life Church? And the thing I'm thinking, I've been thinking about this week is what would it look like if we really take what I'm sharing this morning to heart? Everybody, like I said at the beginning of the service, has a step to take. It's always steps, isn't it? What would it look like if we all take a step this morning and wherever God is calling you to take a step? What would it look like if we asked the Lord to do a work in our hearts, wherever you're at? You know, what if we took a step and came down to where the people are? Because most of us are out there, aren't we? We're surrounded. What, what would it be like? What will happen? It'll get, you know what will happen? It'll get excitingly uncomfortable. Isn't this uncomfortable? I did this on purpose. It's, I did this to make Scott uncomfortable. Are we touchable? Do we care? What will happen? We, always, we, we pray a prayer here, and, and it's, God is answering this prayer. God, do things in us, amongst us, that we cannot do. You know what I can't do is change my heart. So I'm asking God to do that, right? And it can be excitingly uncomfortable. And another thing is this floor will get wet right here. If we'll start taking steps if we'll repent, if you're like me and say, Lord, I, I have to admit, I don't care like I ought to. Now, I don't question if our body loves each other. I was talking to somebody just on Friday about, man, our body, we love each other. It's a joy to be together. And what we want to do, church, 
is to invite more people in, don't we? As we were invited in, we want to invite more people in to know Christ. So what I want to do by and, and end on this, this morning before we take communion, I want to make a, uh, a prayer. I want to pray for us on behalf of the body. I want to pray for anyone that wants to be prayed for this morning, corporately, um, in just a second. And I'm going to ask you if you, I never do this, okay? But if you would want to stand up when I pray, if you're saying, you know what, there's a step I need to take. And if you don't stand up, doesn't mean you're not going to take a step. So we're not that church. But this morning, if you would say, you know what? I want to I grow in my love for, the, for those who don't know Jesus yet. I want to be a yielded vessel for him. I want to take a step. I want to just ask that you would stand with me, and I'm going to pray for our body right now. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for, as I have already said, as we've sung, there is no God like you. There's no one who cares like you. And there's no one that is merciful and forgiving like you. And so we want to come to you as a church body and just confess our sin to you, Lord. We want to, con- we want to confess the sin of complacency. We want to confess the sin of the fear of man. We want to confess the the sin of desiring other things, getting distracted, knowing that you are the God who, if we will confess our sin, you are faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness through Jesus Christ. And Lord, we as a church acknowledge that we cannot change ourselves. We, We see the problem. And we can't change ourselves, but you can. And so we come to you knowing that if you are convicting us in an area, it's because that's the area that you want us to change in and grow in and that you will help us to do so. So we ask that you would do your work in our hearts, that you would open our eyes to see those who are around us. Help us to see. Then we ask that you would open our hearts Pierce our hearts. Help us to care. Help us to feel what you have, what you feel towards the lost. Help us to remember where we were before we came to you. And Lord, I ask that you would help us to see the honor of being able to bear the reproach of Christ. Help us to be willing to suffer with Christ so that we can be glorified with Christ and reign with Christ. Lord, I pray for boldness upon our people, upon us. I pray for wisdom. Help us to know when to speak and when to be quiet. And Lord, I also ask that you would help us to have the love of Christ that was concerned about the person. Help us to be concerned as you are. And Lord, we pray that you would use our church body to call this world to yourself through Jesus Christ. 
We want to see people come to know you. Pray this in Jesus' name.